God calls us often to do things or not do things that do not make sense in the eyes of the world. Before we actually look at our text today from Hebrews, I have a question on the screen that I'd love you to turn to two or three people around you and discuss it. And that, this is the question. What are some of the things that God tells us to do or not do that require obedience by faith rather than by sight? So think about things that God asks his people to do or not do that you have to do it on faith you can't do it just by based on what you see. Take a couple of minutes and gather with two or three people around you and discuss that. Take a few seconds to finish those groups up. There are, there are many things that uh, we might uh, look to do something because we can see the outcome. We can see if I do A, then B is going to happen. Sometimes God tells us to do things, and we, we don't see that. So, for instance, it might be, trust me for salvation rather than trying to work for it. Or it might be uh, reserve sex for marriage rather than outside of marriage. Or it might be give your money away generously to people in need and to the Lord's work rather than, than hoarding it. There, there are many, many things that we face. I want you to keep in mind as we go through this text today some of the things that you thought about and some things that you face in your life. Now, I'll invite your attention to Hebrews 11, verse 8. We're 
preaching through the book of Hebrews, and we come today to verses 8 to 22 of chapter 11, and here is the setting. After defining faith, and let me stop right there. I I put defining in quotes. In verse 1 of chapter 11, the author said, faith is, and we, we get something of a definition, but it's not a classical textbook definition. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's more like a working definition. It gives characteristics. So after doing that at the beginning of Hebrews and then showing how the ancients modeled it, now in these verses, the writer continues giving us more pictures of living faith as seen in the patriarchs, and primarily today in Abraham. Abraham is uh, a huge picture of faith throughout the Bible, and the text is going to focus mainly on him, but it includes some of the other patriarchs. So let's read verses 8 through 22. I'm going to not read every word of every verse yet. We'll read it through the course of the message, but I want you to pay attention to how many times the writer says, by faith. And we'll see it right there in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who, embraced, who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. We've been working through in this chapter, there are four sermons from chapter 11. This is the third one. We've been working through this acrostic from the word faith. To, it, it describes how faith is pictured throughout the chapter. It focuses on the unseen rather than on the seen. And then the A, it's active obedience to God. Faith is not passive, just sitting back. It's actively obeying God. It's impossible, the I, it's impossible to please God without it. T, faith is essentially trusting in God and His Word. And then We'll see, especially next week, that faith helps in a variety of situations, and it has a variety of outcomes. 
Most of those five we're going to see today, all but the eye, will, will show themselves a little bit as we work through the passage. So let's, let's look at some pictures today of faith in action. That's what the writer is doing, giving us pictures of what faith looks like. So the first picture is in verse 8, and it is obeying without having the details. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, this is alluding to a very, very important event in the Old Testament, which we find at Genesis chapter 12. So I want us to look at Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, because that's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to as he starts giving this first picture of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, his name originally was Abram, God changed changed it to Abraham, father of many nations. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's very, very important to notice right at the beginning that Abraham did not obey in faith in order to gain things for himself, in order to get a better life for himself. In North America, especially, I think it's around the world, but it's especially true in North America, there are a lot of people who mishandle the Scripture and they, we call it the prosperity gospel. And they teach that faith, if you have faith, then God is going to do really good things for you. He's going to give you money, and he's going to give you health, and he's going to give you earthly success. And people take passages like Hebrews 11 and other passages and they misconstrue what's really happening. It's very important to know God is not coming to Abraham and saying, Abraham, I got a really good deal for you. I'm going to make your life suddenly really, really easy. This is going to be so you can be really, really happy, Abraham. No, look what he told him to do. Leave your homeland. Leave your father's household. Don't try to establish a reputation for yourself or a permanent earthly city right here in this life. Yes, indeed, Abraham, you are going to be blessed in the process, but the purpose of my blessing you is so that you can go bless others and that through you all nations will be blessed. And this is God's plan in life, and it started right here with Abraham. The Jewish nation was chosen by God. He was going to make a nation out of him. Many nations were going to come out. Many descendants were going to come out. There were going to be so many, you wouldn't be able to 
count them like the stars in the sky or the sand on the, on the, on the ocean floor and the beaches. I mean, it's just, you are going to be part of something great, Abraham, but it is to bless others. I want you to imagine a group of explorers that are in a cave and they get trapped. They see just a narrow, tiny, flooded passageway and they know they cannot all get through there, but they decide to choose one person. And they're going to try to help. They're going to make one, they're going to elect one person and choose them to get through that passageway so that they might be able to get to the top, back to the top and call for more help and resources. That one person is not chosen so that she alone will be saved. She is chosen so she can be the instrument for others to be saved. Now, in the mission of God's people, Christopher Wright uses that analogy to make the observation that being chosen by God for salvation is not designed just for one's individual benefit. According to the biblical story, election means that the elect become agents of blessings to others. And that's a fitting picture of what's happening with Abraham here in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is being chosen by God, not just for his own salvation. Yes, it includes that. Not just for the salvation of his family. Yes, it includes that. But to be a conduit of blessing for the nations. And all of us today that are Gentiles, that are not Jewish people, we're some of the recipients of that today. <laughs> Had it not been for that, we would not be saved now, how much information did God give Abraham about his destination? Let's go back to the verse in Hebrews. He was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Read those words out loud with me. Even though he did not know where he was going. All right, so let me ask you a question this morning. When you get in the car to take a trip, raise your hand if you like to know where you're going. Um, Abraham didn't have that benefit. A Abraham is not going to be told in advance. Abraham didn't have GPS. Well, maybe he had the GPS that was turn by turn, but not that showed the whole destination, right? Maybe God put it in that different view. It, he had to wait until he got to the next turn. I've heard people make comparisons of situations with Abraham's, like maybe they're moving from one state to another or from one country to another to serve God. But in most of, the, and, and no doubt, those things require faith, but in most of those instances, the people at least know where they're going to serve. <laughs> Abraham, go. Where am I going, Lord? I'll show you. 
God was saying, just surrender and follow me. In other words, God sent Abraham on a trip and omitted the GPS. That's the first picture. Now in verses 9 and 10, we get another picture that's related to it. It's living like a citizen of heaven instead of a citizen of earth. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham once lived in the city of Ur. It was a beautiful city. It was located on the bank of a beautiful river. It had cobblestone streets and academic buildings and Three-story houses with tiled flooring, very unusual for that time of the world. But it was also a very dark culture spiritually. It was a pagan environment. They were known for worshiping the moon gods. That's what Abraham came from. When God called him, Abraham had grown up there and his father had started moving them but that was his, those were his roots. And what a contrast between buildings, between the buildings that Abraham left and then living in tents, the city that he was looking forward to. He wasn't looking forward to something material. He wasn't looking forward to something he could see and build like a, a building in his name. He forfeited his rights and his privileges to live in this foreign land. The spiritual was much more important to Abraham than the physical. Can I ask you, is it to you? So think about the levels here this morning. The level, level one, go leave your home. Level two, go live, not only leave your home, but live as a stranger Live in, live in tents. But part of this promise, there, there are going to be descendants, right? You have to have a child. Abraham didn't have a child. So now we get to, to level three, fruitful childbearing, even when it's impossible. Even when it was impossible. Verse 11 by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promises. We thankfully have a lot of women in this church that are not that old, and they keep bringing babies. I see Liz Stefanini just a couple weeks ago, the most recent, there's been maybe a dozen babies in the last year. Uh, Chris Opiella was here this morning. Messi is due on the 15th. I guess that's next Sunday, Lord willing. Kayla Mode is going to go Thursday for a C-section. So they, they keep coming. And I guarantee you one thing. I never ask women their age, but I know those women aren't 90 years old. <laughs> I know that. Sarah was. She was 90 to 91 when this happened. Can, can you believe that? 
Abraham's 100. He first was given the promise at 75. Now, 25 years later, it's going to come true. He waited on God's promises. They waited on God's promises for 25 years. And how did Sarah do it? She didn't look at her broken body. She didn't look at her old, worn-out body, her incapable of conceiving a child body. What did she look at? Well, because she considered him faithful who made the promise. That's faith. You don't look at the circumstance. The circumstance is impossible. But God is faithful. And if God said it, you know, if he can speak the worlds into existence, if he can take his people through the Red Sea, if God says it, it is going to happen. Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary in China, put our walk of faith in these terms. If we are obeying God, the responsibility rests with him and not with us. And look what happened. Look at the result. Verse 12, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. That's the word I was looking for earlier, seashore. <laughs> That's where the sand is. You see the levels? Go. Live in tents. Not these beautiful homes. Live in tents from place to place. It's like God telling you, I'm going to give you a, a land, a wonderful land. What's, what land would that be for you? Would it be New Zealand or Australia or something? Okay, you can go there and you're going to live in tents. And then there's the child. And amazingly, the child is born. Not without lapses in faith, mind you. We don't have time to cover the lapses in faith. But Abraham and Sarah had lapses in faith at times, right? This isn't about them. This is about God. God's the hero of the story. But here is an amazing level now. And that's sacrificing to God what was most precious. We're going to skip a few verses. We'll come back to them. But beginning in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, Offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his only son. <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. As a father of three sons, I, I can't even imagine what this command was like. This is Genesis 22, right? In fact, in Genesis 22, we don't have time to look there now. It's 19 verses that tell this story, and the word son appears 12 times in those 19 verses to emphasize this is your son. Now, Isaac was the son of choice. He was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, I love the fact that the Bible tells us it was a test because this, this is hard to get our heads around, right? If we go back one verse, 
when God tested him. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him. It lets us know that God did not ultimately plan for Abraham to execute his son. This was a test. Now, pagan religions in the area did indeed practice human sacrifice, but not the God of the Bible. It's a test. We know it's a test now, but Abraham didn't know at that time. He didn't know that. Now, where did this faith of Abraham come in? Because God had said it's going to be through Isaac. I mean, we know that Ishmael was Abraham's son, but he had been out of the picture now for many years. And Isaac was the heir. He was the promise, the son of promise whom Abraham loved. Where did it come from? Well, look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham proved that he feared God by giving him what was most precious to him, by trusting and obeying God. And indeed, when he did it, here in the thicket was a ram, and God provided the ram. Well, the passage concludes with just some quick, brief statements about pointing to the future. The other patriarchs, uh, verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Isaac is communicating prophecies about the future to his grandsons. And then verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob worshiped as he blessed his grandsons. And by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So even though Jacob, or even though Joseph had lived in Egypt most of his life, he wanted his bones to be buried in the land of promise, not in the land of idolatry. So here's God's word for us this morning as we think about what all of these things have in common. Faith believes God without GPS and lives for eternity. Faith believes God without GPS, without it all marked out, without it all clearly spelled it out, but it's because God has said it and lives for eternity. It takes faith to live for eternity rather than living for now. It's faith that causes us to live for God, to sacrifice for God, to serve God, rather than just building up our life and our kingdom. So let's talk about how to live by faith. We've seen these great pictures of faith. But I want, to, I want to give us three specific ways that all of us can live by faith. And we're going, to, we're going to look at the middle verses to find those. And again, this is by application. They're, they aren't commands. They're still, it's still narrative telling us about these people. But let me start by saying one time at Family Devotions, Martin Luther 
told his family this story about Abraham sacrificing his son. And he drew the picture up really well for them. Abraham bound him and laid him on the wood. The father raised his knife. These are his words. The boy bared his throat. If God had slept an instant, the lad would have been dead. I could not have watched, Luther said. And his wife, Katie, was aghast. And she said, I do not believe it. God would not treat, God would not treat his son like that. And Martin looked at his wife and said, but Katie, he did. This picture of faith on Abraham's part is a great prefiguring of the gospel of what happened on the cross. You see, God was just testing Abraham, and he sacrificed what was most precious to him, his son. He was willing to do it in faith, but it was a test. And yet, for you and I, to save us from our sinful ways, God offered his precious son, Jesus, to come and live and die on the cross. And this is where the life of faith starts. It starts when you and I go, you know, God, I deserve punishment. I deserve to be away from you, but I thank you that you died to save me, Jesus, and I take you by faith. I'm willing to turn from my sin and myself, that's repentance, to you and trust you, that's faith. That's where it starts. So hopefully, ask yourself, have, am I there? <laughs> that, that's, that's the very first step of faith. Now, for those who've taken that step, let me give you three others from this text. Number one, embrace what God has promised. Verse 13, all these people, he was talking about Abraham and his company, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They saw and they welcomed. It's one thing to hear God's promises, but they actually saw them, not the fulfillment of them, but they welcomed it because God. They embraced it. It's like, okay, if God says it, I'm going to embrace it. And that's when you look at the Bible and there are hard things in the Bible to put into practice. And you go, you know, God said it. I'm going to embrace it. That's faith. Over and over, this wasn't what Abraham was going to do. God said, I will, I will, I will. Abraham just needed to see it and embrace it. Heavenly things are more important than earthly things in Hebrews and, in fact, in the Scripture. So God promises us today things like salvation for those who repent and believe, his presence with us throughout life, give and it will be given to you. He promises a home in heaven for Christians, so embrace those and all the other biblically applicable promises. Number two, acknowledge that you're a stranger and alien here on earth. 
see the highlighted words there at the end of that verse, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. When you're a foreigner and stranger, you don't settle down in the country that you're visiting. It's great to have our missionary partner, Sasha, with us. He, he's a wonderful guy, but he's a stranger and a foreigner. You're here a few months in the U.S., right? Yeah, a month. You didn't bring everything with you because this is not your permanent home. It's great. We were reminiscing before, and I actually have some pictures. I've been to Eastern Europe many times to train pastors, most often in Ukraine, six or seven times in Ukraine, but two times in Russia, once before meeting Sasha, in fact. In fact, my very first trip to help pastors was in 1999 or 2000 down in Novorossiysk, down on the Black Sea. You know, you know where that is. But on one visit, I, I did see Sasha and wanted to see the Moscow Seminary and spend time with them. I think that we think that's 2007, the last year that outsiders like myself could get in. Often we worked with uh, another one of our missionary partners now. He was not a missionary partner that, then. Andre Bullion and his wife Luba and his two little girls that are grown up now <laughs> stayed in their home. But Andre was my translator when I would teach and uh, train the pastors and aspiring pastors. Andre was, was a translator and he drove the van and did things like that. And over time, God called him to preach and he planted a church and he still is in Ukraine right now. And he's one of our missionaries that we support and they are, you know, dealing with ministry in these very hard times as well. That's, that's their uh, home apartment that, where they lived up on the, I don't know, 10th floor or something. But I, I brought that picture. You can see there's a suitcase there. In fact, on one trip, often went with Tim Pruitt there, but on one trip... I went with Tim and another man, and you see, we, they're, they're all our suitcases. That looks like a lot, but this is three men, three grown men, who are going to be there for a couple of weeks, and that, that's, that's what we took right there. I, I love my bed at home. Do you, do you love your mattress at home? If you don't, Talk to Pastor Corey, and he'll work out something to help you get one. Just kidding. I love, after these trips, I love sleeping at, but I didn't take my mattress with me. I like my golf clubs. I didn't take my golf clubs with me on this trip. I was a stranger and alien. I was just, you, you go to a foreign country, and you realize that you are a stranger. You look different. You talk different. They eat different. And, and you're not trying to go there so you can get all comfy. You just take just enough stuff, right, to do your mission. And that's the way God wants Christians to live in this earth. Here's our problem. Church, here's our problem. I don't mean like harvest. I mean the church as a whole, especially in North America. Our problem is we've forgotten where our real home is. 
We think we live here. We order our life around here, and everything, almost everything is focused on here and the pressures of life and the cares of life and the acquisitions of life. And we wonder, we, we think, oh, we, sometimes we place these people in the Bible in this great different category. They were human just like you and I, but the difference was they knew they were strangers and aliens. Abraham knew that, and he was willing to live in tents so he could follow God and see the real city whose builder and maker is God. I, in high school, and maybe even younger as a kid, we, there was a a song we used to sing, and it's got a really bouncy melody, and we don't sing it anymore. I, I know we don't sing it at Harvest. I, I don't know where, who sings it or whatever. But it's got amazingly relevant words today. Did you ever hear the song, This World Is Not My Home? I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Do you believe that? Do you live that? Verse 14, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Acknowledge that you're a stranger. The flip side of that is number three. It's, it's very much linked to it. Strive for heavenly realities. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That word longing for, it, th there's a couple other interesting places, not used many times in the New Testament, but one of the places it's used is 1 Timothy 3.1. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer de desires a noble task. And 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money... Uh, is, is a root of all kinds of evil, evil. Some people eager, same word, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Other translations use words like craving or longing. Raymond Brown puts it well when he says, those who know that the next world is a better one do not waste their limited opportunity in this life by clutching greedily for the next material acquisition. In our time, we are not likely to make any impact with the gospel if self-contented affluence becomes a feature of our lives rather than outgoing compassion. And Paul said, since then you then have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In every case, people of faith look at and embrace and strive for the eternal, not the earthly. Go to a new land, Abraham. Well, what's wrong with this one? You'll have descendants. Really? How? We're old. Sacrifice your child to me. Oh, there's no way I'd give up my most precious possession. You know, if you focus only on the earthly, you'll never go on a mission trip or you'll never go into missions. If you focus on the earthly, you'll never give abundantly to the work of God financially. If you focus on the earthly, you'll never pray without ceasing. If you focus on the earthly, you'll never see God do miracles like you could if you focused on the heavenly. Faith believes God without GPS and lives for eternity. You know, usually someone comes to your home and the normal thing you do is you say, oh, come be at home. Did you notice the title of the sermon today? Don't make yourself at home. I'm not, I don't want you to be rude to people. But the reason why this sermon is titled is that is because I think that Abraham and these patriarchs model something for us And I think God is saying to all of us, if we look at life and we look at this life and we look at our society and everything around us, don't make yourself at home. Don't make yourself at home. Let's bow.